you can't really walk down the hall without hearing someone talk about counseling, either asking you a question or asking how I know someone that needs counseling. So it, it's very much a daily conversation. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Mrs. Becca Fisher, who serves the Lord at the Church of the Mill in Moore, South Carolina, as their church's counseling ministry coordinator. Becca recently completed the certification process with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Since its very inception, the ACBC, or NANC as we were formerly known, has had a membership level for godly laypersons. That's because we believe that every Christian can attain the tools and the skills necessary to effectively counsel one another, and we believe that kind of activity can and should be a regular part of body life in a local church. But the truth of the matter is the certification process is very robust on purpose. So every person desiring membership in ACBC, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, has to receive the appropriate academic training. Then they satisfy a series of exams in both counseling and theology. They're open book, but they're still very challenging. And then lastly, have 50 hours of their counseling supervised by a fellow or a coach in the organization. And so today I'd just like to hear from Becca about what that experience was like. So Becca, thank you very much for being willing to join us today. Sure, it's a privilege being here. So I think it'd be very helpful for our listeners just to find out, how did you become interested in biblical counseling? So we lived in Texas and were members of a church there, and our church had a couple of pastors that were being trained. And the training was actually taking place in Houston, so they invited a group of us. Actually, they dated an open call at church. I see. And so when the slide went up, I was like, hmm, that's something I would really like to learn more about. So I went along for the ride. Good for you. Oftentimes, that's just the way it starts, mm -hmm. right? A slide on a PowerPoint presentation during announcements. And sometimes we pastors think, does anybody listen to those announcements? And there's an example of not only was somebody listening to the announcements, but she was open to what the Holy Spirit might be doing mm -hmm. through that kind of training opportunity. And that's exciting to hear how that started. So what was that experience like for you? So... The training itself was fantastic. It was, no, I didn't really go with any expectations. I wasn't sure, really. I knew it was, when they said biblical counseling, and it was counseling, and I just thought it was Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. So when I went, and, you know, it's the three weekends, mm -hmm. 10 hours uh, each weekend, it resonated with me in a way I did not expect. And in other words, I really enjoyed, and the Word spoke to my heart, it self-counseled, mm -hmm. it counseled yeah. me, right? And so it all made sense. I am not typically an organized 
orderly type of person. But when you put me in something that is has a process mm-hmm. and a system, I thrive in it if it's already created. And that's what it did for me, the, the whole systematic theology that was poured out. And it all started clicking for mm-hmm. me. And so I enjoyed that so much. And I couldn't wait to go back the next weekend and the next weekend. And I would come home and tell my husband all about it and how fantastic it was. Mm-hmm. And it, he couldn't quite get his mind around what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But it was unlike anything I had ever even learned in the church, because it was so robust, as you had mentioned, and a lot, right? There's a lot in that weekend, but it all made sense because of all the truth that I knew about God. And, you know, that training is based on the sufficient Word of God, Mm -hmm. so it's not the opinions of men or the opinions of women. And so everybody who's doing the training or receiving the training is being called to a higher authority, our loving, sufficient God, who has provided all the resources that we need in His Son, Jesus Christ, has provided all the resources Mm -hmm. that we need in His sufficient Word. And so when you sit under that kind of training, it is like um, drinking from a heavenly Mm -hmm. fountain, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So for somebody who has the Holy Spirit resident inside of them, it's starting to click, isn't it? Absolutely. It was like a fresh drink of water for me. I I didn't know that I, what I didn't know, the Mm -hmm. the thirst that was there. Having had some secular counseling as a young adult, had gone to some secular counseling for some trauma, I'd had, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And it made sense to me why these truths were speaking so clearly to me Mm -hmm. versus what I'd had before, which was someone's opinion. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And you you use the phrase Mm self-counsel. And a lot of times when we're doing training, we mention that the best counselor is first a good counselee. And so it is interesting. You sit down for that training and you start with the thought that, well, I'm receiving this, so I might be able to help somebody else. But it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can multitask. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon those principles, you're saying, wait a minute, there's some ways I can take that and grow and change myself. Mm -hmm. And so there's multiple things going on simultaneously Mm -hmm. where you're being prepared to help somebody else, but you're also thinking about, now wait, you know, I really need to ask God's forgiveness for that, or I need to ask my spouse's forgiveness for that, or I need to focus on that particular biblical truth. And if if you really want to become more like Jesus Christ, that training becomes your friend, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I'll add this as well, just for some context. I mean, my husband and I have been married for 30 years. We just celebrated our 30-year anniversary. But our first, you know, 10 or 12 years of our marriage were not great. Mm -hmm. And much of that was due to my spiritual immaturity, some a lot of selfishness and rebelliousness in my heart, not Mm -hmm. understanding what biblical submission was. I'd never been taught that. I I didn't know what that was. So to go and hear that from these godly people and to have hands-on resources that were also reinforcing what they were teaching, it changed my heart, of course, and therefore started changing our marriage. And that was again, just part of that counsel, and really, Jesus is the counselor, right? right. But to be able to apply that in such a practical way and understand it in such a way that it wasn't hurtful, it was helpful. Mm -hmm. And so that was just a really big eye-opener, and a heart-opener, I would call it. Yeah. I think many people in the biblical counseling movement would have a similar story to tell, that part of what attracted them to the ministry was the impact it had on their own heart, their Mm -hmm. own life, their own marriage. 
I took the training a long time ago when I was a seminary student, and the seminary I attended was about two and a half hours from Lafayette. And so as a seminary student, I drove two and a half hours each way with some of my buddies, and we took the 11-week program on Mondays, sat in on lecture, and then watched live counseling sessions in the afternoon and evening, and we would get back to the where I lived by the seminary about midnight or later, and I was newly married. And my wife would tell you, Monday night after Monday night after Monday night, I would have to wake her up and ask her forgiveness for something. <laughs> and um, we joked that um, it was good that I got through the program so she could get a good night's sleep. <laughs> but that's actually what you just said is what motivated me to mm. go on to do doctoral work in counseling. Mm. It wasn't anything that I might be able to do for anybody else. I just wanted that concentrated study about progressive sanctification for my own heart and life. And, you know, we prayed before we started about the kind of men and women who might listen to this podcast. And part of who we're praying for is people just like you who they're wondering about whether or not they ought to pursue this kind of training. So they're seeing the slide on a PowerPoint screen somewhere else, maybe even in their mind. And you just gave a really powerful reason why the answer to that question should be yes many times Mm -hmm. is because of how God can use that information to transform us. And I also appreciate how you said there's a system to this. And we're not talking about cookie cutters. We're not talking about treating every person exactly the same way. But we are talking about the doctrine of progressive sanctification. And we do believe that God is an orderly, systematized God. He's a God who has given us in Christ a plan for change and growth. The Word of God is a systematic book. And so we're not just floundering around in our own growth, and nor are we floundering around when we have the privilege of talking to someone else. And so I just love everything that you're saying about it. Can you now, the the Lord's doing some very exciting things in the church where you're serving. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about how is biblical counseling impacting the overall life of the church? So we have about 25 people in the pipeline that are in the process of becoming certified. They're in the middle. Our last group is writing their exams before we start a new group. So you know, I've given some thought to this, and the best way I can describe it is it has infiltrated in a good way mm-hmm. every ministry at yeah. our church. Now, we have an excellent leadership team at our church. We just, I can't say enough about them, and they've embraced this, you know, biblical counseling as part that's becoming the DNA. We're still mm-hmm. in that process, but sure. it's becoming the DNA of our church. And what's great about our church is, you know, the ministries there don't work in silos. They're a team. And so all the ministries at some point cross over to the other. And so I would say that biblical counseling out of all the ministries is a part of every ministry at our church. So you take the worship team, for example, and here at this conference are two worship leaders that are going through certification that they will use to counsel people in the worship team, you know, in the choir. Our missions pastor is not yet here at a conference, but I am very involved in missions, and he knows my heart for counseling. He wants to take me on more Hmm. trips to, as a matter of fact, we had just um, gone to Boston, and there's a church plant there, and, and so the pastor there started asking me about counseling. That's not our missions pastor's forte right now. So this pastor and I got to have a conversation about ACBC Hmm. and the counseling process. And he's in an area that was the most hurt area by the Catholic Church 
scandal, this where this pl- church plant is. And so I just know that this counseling, biblical counseling, will help heal them in so many ways because they're trying to meet the needs and the hurts of those in that community. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, things like that are infiltrating in our church, and then we're able to start taking it elsewhere as well. So it is, it's everywhere. You can't really walk down the hall without hearing someone talk yeah. about counseling, either asking you a question or asking how I know someone that needs counseling. So it, it's very much a daily conversation. Yeah, we like to wall. use the phrase that um, there's a difference between a church having a counseling ministry and being a counseling mm-hmm. ministry. And you use the word infiltrate, but, you know, penetrate, permeating, right. where the doctrines of the sufficiency of Scripture and biblical progressive sanctification, they start to impact every facet of local church ministry. And mm-hmm. is that your church's uh, heartbeat? Absolutely. Well, wow, praise the Lord for that. Yes, absolutely. And people are so very excited about it. It is a conversation. And, and the, the counselees that come out of counseling, I would say our pastor probably weekly has someone coming up to him thanking him for our counseling ministry and telling them their story because he doesn't know them all and how the biblical counseling ministry has helped them. Well, and when you start seeing men and women come to know Jesus Christ through counseling, Mm -hmm. or you see those who do know the Lord transformed in some way, maybe finding help during a period of suffering or being able to overcome some sinful habit in a victorious way, that's infectious, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Absolutely. It really brings... That hope. Yeah. That they're able to share that with others. Mm-hmm. They came in without hope, and now they have hope. That's right. And and then I would add the last piece to that is our small groups. We probably, mm-hmm. and I'm probably misstating this, have about 70 small groups, probably more. And we're having a counseling training yep. in the spring at our church. And so our hope is that all of them will be strongly encouraged, mm-hmm. and they will be, from the pulpit. That's what I love about it, that they'll be strongly encouraged to attend, and in the other other ministries as well. They're very interested. They're very excited. We were already talking about it, and there's just a level of energy about it at our church that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. So let's talk specifically about the certification process. You're a busy wife, a busy mother. you got a lot of things going on in ministry already, and yet you were willing to go through the certification process. What motivated you to do that? So I will confess, I said earlier, I'm a 15-year counseling student, and uh, <laughs> but that's okay. I, God redeemed it. And, and a lot of that, I would, you know, just say that God redeemed that time. It wasn't the best decision of my life to wait, hmm. in my opinion, but it's okay. The way that I feel like he redeemed it was when we came to South Carolina five years ago and introduced counseling, ACBC specifically, to our church, a team just formed. And little did I know these two worlds would collide, that Mm. God had had tilled the soil in Texas with me and my husband about counseling. And and we have a, a pastor at our church who also, his heart was being prepared for that. And so when we came together and just dreamed. We never envisioned what it would be now. We just really thought this is something that is we want to do at this church. And so we went to a conference in Jacksonville, and that's where Pastor Ashton really was, it was just confirmed with him, really God confirmed with him that was the route to go. So with this team that we built, it just seemed to motivate me more. There was accountability. There was this motivation between each other. We would spur each other on. It's a little bit of competitiveness to get that done. (laughs) But the timing of it was there was no way I could be part of the, the leadership team of this ministry without 
going all the way through mm-hmm. the process. It just, I need to lead by example, and I knew that. So, you know, again, there were times where I probably should have sped up my certification that I didn't, but, you know, I used busyness as an excuse, mm-hmm. really. I say that no one can corner the market on that. Mm-hmm. We're all busy, though our lives today. And so I wish I'd made time, but I don't belabor that anymore. I know that God's timing is perfect and he mm-hmm. redeemed it. And so I have this amazing team and I got to share with them today uh, graduation and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. So. So you had already received the training piece of the puzzle. I imagine that some people will listen to this podcast and say, there is no way, and I'm talking about men or women, who, who would say, there, there's no way I could satisfy a exam, a written exam in theology, a written exam in counseling. What was that experience like for you? It was not hard. That's interesting. It was not hard for me, honestly, and I will still Pastor Ashton's word because he really summed it up well. He could say what I felt. I just couldn't articulate it. It was a worshipful experience. That's interesting. To sit and wrestle with the scriptures, mm-hmm. and, and not even really wrestle with them, but to become intimate again and again with all the things that I knew to be true about God, but to be able to spend time alone, that concentrated amount of time, type it out, and be in awe again Mm -hmm. over and over. I I can tear up thinking about it, of that experience of like, this is my God. This is it. And and I don't have to guess and I don't Mm -hmm. have to make up things or, you know, pull something out of the air that makes sense to someone else that this is, and, and this is who we are. And so it, it was a fantastic experience. I didn't consider it hard or difficult. The knowledge was there. It was a matter of articulating it on paper. But when I did that and went to the scriptures, it was very worshipful to spend that, that mm. amount of time with the Lord. You know, Becca, I don't think I've ever heard anybody describe that part of the process in that way. That is very helpful. And when I was in seminary, one of my theology professors was named John Whitcomb. And I would look at my class schedule each semester, and my view was going to a John Whitcomb class was like going to a worship service. Mm. And I, I always thought that, I, I told my wife this, if, if I have at least one class with Dr. Whitcomb every semester, I'm going to be mm. fine. But that's what it was. It wasn't like going to class. It was mm-hmm. like going to a worship service mm-hmm. for the exact reason that you said. But in all the years I've been doing this, it never dawned on me that someone would view the exam process in exactly that same way. Mm -hmm. I am so glad you were willing to share that with our listeners. I'm going to steal that forever. (laughs) Well, Um, we'll give credit to Pastor Ashton. I did have that same, (laughs) that same, you know, experience, and but he just articulated it well. But that's exactly how I felt. It wasn't begrudging. It wasn't rolling my eyes, going, "Oh, I've got to do this." It wasn't laborious in that way. It was, it was truth telling. And it was, yeah, here's what we know. The majority of people in church don't go to seminary. Yep, that's right. And so they don't get that. That's a privilege, I believe, going to seminary. That's a privilege to be able to spend that much Mm -hmm. time studying about our Lord and learning. And so this was that experience for those that can't go to seminary, don't have time to spend that concentrated amount of time and to to take the time to do it and enjoy it. Mm. It it really is in that sense. And some people will will probably say it's painful, but I just did not have that experience. It was not painful for me. I think our listeners are also going to wonder how in the world did a wife and a mother do this? 
tell us your husband's name and how many children you have, and then l- let's put that all in the mix. Okay. okay. I'm assuming they didn't go away for six months while you worked on this. <laughs> no, they did not. So my husband's name is Ken Fisher, and he is the executive pastor at our church. He's a late-in-life pastor is what I call him. He uh-huh. worked a corporate job until he was 50, until it just about killed him. So mm. he retired, and he had been called into the ministry long ago, not really knowing what that would look like. Mm. So his business acumen, God prepared him as well. Yeah. And so he is our administrator of our church. So my children are grown and married, and I I don't have any grandchildren. But here's the joke I do make. I don't know how I raised them. I think they raised themselves because (laughs) I am no less busy now than when I was when I was raising them. Interesting. You know, so working two part-time jobs and, you know, just in volunteering at the church Mm -hmm. and not just in counseling, but in other areas. And so I also have a mom in Texas that I travel back. She has Alzheimer's, so I go back and I see her frequently. So my priorities changed, but no more time was left in the day when I was finished. So I have a husband and that was very supportive and encouraging mm-hmm. and had wanted me to do this long ago, wanted yep. me. And, and it was really a matter of me carving out the time to do it and making that commitment to do it. And that's what it is. You make it a priority or you don't. And now I think that's what it comes down to. And I just mm-hmm. got to that point, I couldn't make excuses anymore. I didn't really have any reason not to do it. Yeah. And so I will say this, though. I, you know, I went back to training almost every year that I could. If it was in my area, I went back for advanced training. I went to annual conferences and I learned, and it wasn't there just to gain knowledge, but I always came back with something new, Hmm. something different. And we'll probably talk about this in a minute, but the certification process itself, in addition to supervision, which I know we'll talk about, is, was the piece that I really, really needed. Hmm. And it really put it all together for me. So So you've alluded to the, the third phase of the process, the supervision phase. Did you find that intimidating or did, and I'm thinking about before it started, as you were just anticipating, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to have to go through supervision. Mm -hmm. Was that a harder part, even mentally for you to contemplate Mm -hmm. or was that an easier part and and why? (laughs) It was very intimidating. (laughs) Was it? Yes. My supervisor was a real bear, so. (laughs) Well, and we might just go ahead and say that I had the privilege of supervising Becca. I don't want to talk a lot about my role in this good, bad, or ugly, but I'm just wondering about people who will listen to this and say, there's no way I'm going to do that because of the final, the 50 hours of supervised Mm -hmm. counseling. How did you feel about that even before it began? So I think it's natural to feel a little intimidated. I think anyone going into something like that, overconfident, there's, there's a little bit of an issue. So I think some intimidation is good. It keeps you on your toes and humble. And so, so I tried not to overthink that. I knew it was part of the process. I had known that for a while. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted the best of the best. And so I knew going into it, having someone that had been in part of the movement for so long was going to challenge me. Mm -hmm. And so I looked forward to that in a way that I made a decision to posture myself as a student Mm -hmm. and to keep that posture. And I do believe that school is never out for the pro is one of the things I've always told myself. So I really needed to go in with a larger spirit. And I attempted to do that for every single, you know, before I even met you, I just like, this is, it's okay. This is to grow you. Hmm. It's to teach you. 
it's to make you better. And I think as long as you have that and you take that as constructive feedback or whatever comes along and you learn from it, because that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. That's what it's for. So. Yeah. And I realize our listeners may not be able to fully understand how it works structurally. But when we talk about 50 hours of supervised counseling, it's not like... I flew to your town to watch you counsel for 50 hours, or you flew to Lafayette. It's a matter of you going ahead and having a counseling session and then completing a two-page case report form, Mm -hmm. sending that in, and then we would review two to four of them every Mm -hmm. time you called. The calls last for about 30 minutes, and then when you get through your 50 hours, along with taping with the counselee's permission, five of those hours, that's what fulfills that requirement. Mm-hmm. But it's more like having a coach. It's, it's like mm-hmm. somebody who's watching over your shoulders, mm-hmm. talking to you about what you did. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope it's a process that the average person would find. It, it's going to be intimidating. It's hard. But a lot of times hard is still very, very good. It is good. I think it, we need to be challenged. That's what makes us better. And I think that... For me, anyways, the experience was the intimidation waned and it came into understanding that you wanted this for the good. Here's the way I look at it. We're brother and sister in Christ. Mm -hmm. So you want the good for me and I want the good for you. As a common goal, we want each other and others that we serve to become more like Christ. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at it that way, it Mm. becomes much easier. When we look at at it as if you go outside biblical counseling and you look at secular counseling and you look at the supervision process there and you look at that relationship, I don't think that they have the same common goal Mm -hmm. in terms of helping others become more like Christ. They don't agree on that Mm -hmm. goal. And so what is their purpose? And Mm -hmm. so for me, when we look at it from the 30,000-foot view of how we're serving God, you're serving God by helping Mm -hmm. me, and and I'm serving God by listening and learning so that I can become a better counselor. And I think if we can step back and look at it that way instead of, oh, this is, you know, something's wrong with me or, you know, my feelings Mm -hmm. got hurt or I'm taking this personal. I I never felt that I was being picked on or over-criticized. I believe that you had only the good for me in mind, Hmm. and that was to further grow the kingdom. Yeah, that's a very good point, that if the ultimate goal here is to be prepared, both of us, to help counselees become more and more like Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ and more in love with their Savior, we can expect the Holy Spirit to enter into that kind of a goal and that kind of a relationship and facilitate the process in ways that are absolutely supernatural. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, there's a lot of discussion, argument about the role of men and women in culture, the role of men and women in the church. Are you finding that there's plenty of important spiritual work that needs to be done in the church and can be done by a godly, equipped woman like yourself? Do you feel like you don't have enough to do, or do you feel like you're (laughs) fulfilling the role that God created you for in your church? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that God called me to this specifically. God called me to this specific church. 
God called me to this specific ministry, mm-hmm. and God has called specific women into my life mm-hmm. to counsel. And there's a whole other backstory to that, but this is something that He has really primed me for over the years. And starting when I owned a business in Texas with young girls working for me, and I was mentoring them and concerned about the decisions they were making about their purity, and I was, you know, starting to use the biblical counseling training to help them. And and then in our small group in Texas, we met counseled our families that were in our small group from parents. And so it just sort of has flowed in such a way that God has used me in a way that I never imagined he would. And I'm more fulfilled now in this season of my life than I've ever been. And I'm absolutely embraced the leadership of our church. I've embraced the structure of our church. I believe what the scriptures say, mm-hmm. that you know there is a sense of order mm-hmm. to the leadership in the home and in the church. And, you know, I, again, came from a background where I was a very selfish, rebellious, independent, I can do this Mm. sort of uh, background in the way that God softened my heart. And when I understood this is for my good, this is good, because God is good. And He created us this way for specifically for these types of ministries that sometimes men can't relate mm-hmm. to. Right? Absolutely. And so that's a gift and a blessing. And and so I struggle sometimes, you know, I still, it still comes back. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be really bold and say this. And, you know, I have to be very careful that I want this to be a fruitful ministry. And that I also, I'm married to a man who knows my weaknesses very well. And he strengthens me in the sense of making me aware when I'm kind of moving out of the role mm-hmm. that God has me for. And I appreciate that mm-hmm. because I know I have a blind spot. And I realize when I came to recognize that God put kin in my life to help me become more godly, to help sanctify me, mm-hmm. that we mutually sanctify each other. But he was able to do that in such a way that I am extremely comfortable in my position at the church and, and where I fall in that. And I'm not, I never feel less than my, the leadership in my life is they are very respectful and they appreciate what I bring and and my gifts and I appreciate that so much you know I don't particularly like the phrase empowering women or empowering anyone I'm not even sure I fully know what that means but I certainly like the biblical phrase of equipping Mm -hmm. the saints to do the work of the ministry Mm -hmm. and that's not equipping the men That's equipping all of the saints, all of the men and women in the church to do the work of the ministry. Mm -hmm. And it's so exciting to me as a pastor for the women in our church who are willing to shoulder that important load of ministry. And I know you have to be an encouragement to your pastor as well and others who are like you. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us about the certification process. And my prayer and hope is that God is going to use this to say, God helped Becca to do it, and Mm. I want to do it too. Mm. And wouldn't it be great to hear additional stories of people who said, that is what inspired me to take the next step in the certification process. And if that is accomplished, then to God be the glory. So thank you very much, Becca, for just the way that you function in the supervision process. You're an excellent counselor, and I'm just so thankful for you. And I thank you for being willing to share your story today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org conferences. 
that you can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts, and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Now, our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.